This is the Yahoo Finance Sportsbook Podcast. Business of football. Welcome. Here we are, and it's episode four, week four of the NFL season. And today, we're talking all about fantasy. Fantasy, fantasy. That's it. What's your fantasy? It's fantasy football for many, many people. How many people? 60 million Americans play some form of fantasy sports. Now, of course, recently the business has been propelled into the public consciousness even more than before, courtesy of Daily Fantasy, or DFS, led by two companies you have definitely heard of, DraftKings and FanDuel. And of that 60 million Americans who play fantasy sports, only something like 3 million are active players of the daily variety. So these companies have a long runway to go, as they think of it. Or you might say in more negative terms that it's unlikely daily is ever going to grow as big as what's called season-long fantasy. And the argument that these companies make for why people should try their products is they say it makes the game more fun. You've created the team, so you feel a sense of ownership over it. Because people are like, well, why do people care so much about their, their fantasy team? And I'm like... Why do you care so much about your home team? The key difference is <laughs> right. the key difference is that your home team, it was made by some billionaire. Right. Your fantasy team, it was made by you. you. <laughs> that was Nigel Eccles, CEO of FanDuel. And we also have the CEO of DraftKings, Jason Robbins, in this episode. So stay tuned for both of those interviews. Now, how does all this relate to and impact the business of the NFL? I'm glad you asked. Most people would agree, the common consensus is that fantasy football has been a boon to the NFL. It has led people who might not watch a certain game otherwise to watch that game because they might have someone in the game on their fantasy football roster. Uh, your team is the Packers, and tonight the Cowboys and the Giants are the NFC game. Well, you might watch anyway because Eli Manning of the Giants is your DFS roster quarterback. So you might think the NFL would embrace and be pleased about this, and in many ways, the NFL has embraced traditional season-long fantasy football. Uh, it has not really embraced, in any overt way, daily fantasy sports. Uh, the reason that distinction is interesting and is important, I think, is because the NHL, the NBA, and Major League Baseball all have equity ownership stakes in either DraftKings or FanDuel. The NFL, the only one of the big leagues to not have taken a stake in either company. So why might the NFL have held off on getting cozy with DraftKings or FanDuel? Well, I'd say the biggest reason is Commissioner Roger Goodell, always interested in protecting the shield, protecting the integrity of the game. And I think that the league has been wary of these two companies for a number of reasons, uh, some of them obvious, some of them more subtle. First of all, these companies kind of stormed onto the scene in 2015. They both have existed Longer than that, but in 2015 is when they bought a combined more than $200 million worth of advertising, a lot of that TV advertising. Uh, that season, if you were a football fan, you could not escape DraftKings and FanDuel ads. And it got their names out there. It, it made them household names among sports fans, but it also annoyed a ton of people and potentially alienated a ton of people. It also put them under the spotlight to lawmakers and politicians who certainly had not heard of them previously who said, wait a minute, because these ads were telling people that, hey, you can win a ton of money on DraftKings and FanDuel with your fantasy sports roster. And, and I think a lot of politicians were saying, well, wait a minute, this looks a lot like gambling. So suddenly you had a lot of attorneys general in various states 
and other lawmakers uh, bringing lawsuits against these companies saying, I want you to shut down in my state. I want you to stop taking paid entry fees because you are an illegal gambling operation. And these companies fought that tooth and nail. Uh, most notably, the biggest legal battle was in New York. It raged on for the better part of a year with New York Attorney General Eric Schneiderman suing DraftKings and FanDuel. And eventually, they had to shut down business in that city. And that was especially notable for FanDuel, which is headquartered in New York, uh, DraftKings headquartered in Boston. And that was very bad for their business. Uh, in the end, I, I guess you could say they won that battle. Uh, New York at the 11th hour, the New York State uh, Assembly passed a law to regulate and allow daily fantasy sports. So now they're fine in New York. But all of this was bad press, and it was a, a bad look. It was bad optics. And boy, there's nothing that the NFL hates and fears and avoids more than bad optics. Now, the number of people playing daily fantasy sports, uh, active users, is estimated at something like only 3 million. And that does sound small, but we should note the amount of money coming in is not small. Uh, Eilers and Krejcik Gaming, in this report on the DFS market in 2016, estimated that DFS companies brought in $3.2 billion in entry fees in 2016. Now, that's called handle uh, in the sports betting world, as in just money that the companies touched and handled. That's not revenue because it doesn't take into account their payouts. But it's really important we mention, I think the average person who has heard of DraftKings and FanDuel thinks that these companies are making money hand over fist. They are, in fact, not profitable. They are not making money. They are spending more on marketing and paying out more in prizes than they are bringing in. So they have revenue, but it's only something like $300 million in 2016 compared to the billions in entry fees. They are not yet profitable. But $3.2 billion in entry fees, that is not nothing. My point being that even if not a lot of people yet are playing daily fantasy sports, they are spending a lot of money on them in entry fees. We're going to talk to Nigel, and stay tuned after that. We're going to talk to Jason Robbins, CEO of FanDuel's biggest competitor, DraftKings. Nigel, let me start this way. You guys and DraftKings and Yahoo have all recently rolled out contests that look a lot more like what people call season-long fantasy sports. Obviously, these labels, these lines are overlapping and blurring, and maybe the distinctions are dissolving. Uh, maybe it even changes the way that people should describe your company. Maybe people shouldn't say FanDuel, daily fantasy sports company. It's broader than that now. We've always viewed ourselves as a fantasy sports company. Uh, we've always viewed the competition to us as... Broadly, you mean, yeah. Broadly, as, you know, as ESPN and Yahoo. Um, we felt that we could build a better product, and we felt that we could convert users from those platforms over to our platform. And, and you know, we've been very, very successful at doing it, but we want to continue to evolve to sort of meet the sort of the needs of people who haven't converted yet and said, yeah, you know, I... You know, I I play season long for these reasons, the social aspect, the persistent league aspect. And we said, okay, we got those as well. So all the great stuff you know about daily fantasy, plus the things that you like to put season long. You know, what is the image on the internet mm -hmm. of these companies, of you guys, of DraftKings, of daily fantasy? And is that something that you guys want to change and have sought to reinvent? I mean, if yeah. I think two seasons ago, yeah. you would see FanDuel mentioned all the time on Twitter. Yeah. And usually it was someone teasing just how many ads That's they were right. seeing. Yeah. Yeah. And now we're, we're sort of past that or you guys are getting past that. So uh, I guess I'm asking about kind of reputation. Yeah, I, I would say that the, the reputation for us today, if you look at Twitter and you look at uh, what we're talking about, it's, it's usually more of our passionate base talking about it. It's kind of like, hey, you know, this is what my Fangio lineup did, or this is how I really like on Fangio this week. This guy's underpriced. That guy's overpriced. So, so you're like getting in the weeds. Yeah, getting, you know, that's, that's, you know, what we see in our sort of the 
bulk of the volume on Twitter. Um, you know, I think what we're also seeing is, you know, there's less discussion about advertising. It's more discussion about the product and the product experience, which is exactly what we want. Well, we are talking about football sort mm -hmm. of broadly and, and the business of the NFL. What has fantasy, both daily mm -hmm. from you guys and in general, even if we expand to the last decade, yeah. what has fantasy football meant for the NFL? Uh, so fantasy football writ large, season long uh, and daily, has, uh, in my view, driven huge growth in, in NFL. Like it's been one of the big drivers of, you know, because you know, everyone follows their home team. But why, why do you watch this other, other, uh, other team? It's two teams, neither of which is your home team. And a big driver of that has been fantasy. It's like, I watch it because I have that quarterback. How come people know so much about you know, the third string running back for the Browns? Like, the, the reason is that they're like, you know, because they're in their later stages of their drafts, and they're like, I might pick that guy, and suddenly I'm watching it. And so, now you have skin in the game. Now you have, yeah, now you have interest. And the other way I sometimes joke about it in the NFL, I say, because people are like, well, why do people care so much about their, their fantasy team? And I'm like, why do you care so much about your home team? The key difference is, <laughs> right. the key difference is that your, your home team, uh, Patriots, uh, yep. the Patriots, it was made by some billionaire. Right. Your fantasy team, it was made by you. you. Yes. <laughs> so if it does well or badly, it's down to you. And so I, I, I can totally get why people like feel really involved in their fantasy team because they chose it, they built it, and whenever it does well, it's a validation of themselves. And it's bragging it does, rights, it's, yeah. Whenever it does badly, it's kind of like, oh, I suck. You know, like, so I, I absolutely see why people get into their fantasy team. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, it's interesting. It has been, most people agree, so helpful for the NFL in terms of fan interest. And yet, one interesting note that I, that I always am quick to bring up, both the NBA and Major League Baseball made actual um, partnerships and, mm -hmm. and as a result of those partnerships got equity stakes yes. in either FanDuel or yeah. DraftKings. Yeah. Uh, NBA, FanDuel, a and MLB, yes, DraftKings. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, the NFL at the league level hasn't done anything like that. Of course, mm. the NFL Players Association yes. has made partnerships that's and right. the teams can partner up with one of the DFS companies, yeah. and most are all have. Yeah. Yeah. But at the league level, mm -hmm. not the same. That's and right. so you wonder, uh, what does the league and the league office, and mm -hmm. of course, Commissioner Roger yeah, Gale, yeah. think about daily fantasy sports? You know, so he has, you know, he's been on record very supportive of fantasy sports. Um, he, uh, like one of the things he likes about it, obviously it drives engagement. He also feels it doesn't threaten the integrity of the game, uh, which is obviously very important oh, to them. Oh, that's his priority, the that's integrity his, of the game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that, you know, and I, I think that the NFL is going to get there on Daily Fantasy. I, you know, they've, they've kind of like, you know, two years, you know, 2014, we didn't work with any leagues. You know, then we worked with the NBA. We, we were the first company to do a league partnership. Then, then hockey came in, then baseball came in. Now, obviously, late 2015, the industry hit, hit a wall, and we had a kind of year and a half, two years of getting through regulatory issues. I think we're now back on the path where the NFL starts to get more comfortable and say, you know what, this makes sense. This is good for our sport. We want to work with these companies. And so, if you look five years down mm -hmm. the road, maybe even 10 years down the yeah. road, where is fantasy sports, especially as it relates to football, where is daily and yeah. what you guys do within the larger yeah. context? Is, is the sky the limit, or yeah. what factors might affect yeah. the growth? So where I see fantasy sports is there's you know, something like 200 million sports fans in North America. I see the, the total population of fantasy players within that, so maybe at 60 a day, I see that hugely increasing. So I see you know, we're getting to maybe 100 million. Half of the people who watch it play some form of game around the game, right? Like it's, you know, it's, they, they actually, hey, I, I want to play something, and it could be very simple. Uh, it's obviously going to be totally mobile-based. I see that we'll no longer talk about daily and season-long because I think it'll just become... 
one of the many different variants you can play. So I start to see a continuum of different and uh, different fantasy games, and and I think that's going to be and but reaching a much broader audience. Speaking of reaching a broader audience, uh, there was a report on the daily fantasy sports industry from 2016, in which I thought the biggest takeaway was the demographics problem. The report said that 95% of DFS users are white, male, age 25 to 35. Uh, to really grow in the long term, you guys need to change that. Historically, it is, yeah, it's, it's sort of, it's white, it's male, it's college educated, and, and, it's, and it's kind of being sort of stuck in that demographic. Uh, what I would say is some other sports, particularly NBA, have got much better, or not, uh, have got more diverse demographics. Um, and what we found is when we've introduced new products, they potentially are appealing to different de demographics as well. So EPL is an example. It's appealing to a different demographic. Premier League soccer. Premier League soccer, yeah. Um, and so, we, you know, with the addition of new sports, with the addition of new formats, we definitely are seeing something of a shift from where, say, a traditional fantasy football format is. And that, that's something we want to continue to do. Great. We'll see what happens. Absolutely. Thanks, Nigel. Great. Thank you. All right. That was interesting, insightful. That was Nigel Eccles of FanDuel. Uh, we also were lucky enough to get in Jason Robbins, the CEO of DraftKings. And he had a slightly different take on some of our questions. So here's Jason Robbins. Jason, uh, a lot of people say that fantasy sports as an idea originated with baseball, not football. But now, obviously, football is the big moneymaker. Uh, how do you think it happened? How did fantasy football get so big? You know, I think that there's a few reasons. Uh, one, the NFL is once a week. And I think that makes a huge, I mean, there's obviously Thursday and other games they've added, but the core of it is once a week. I think that does a few things. One, it makes it instantly more accessible to people who are following it. And now, instead of having to follow something every single day, you can do a little bit of research, pay attention, you know, maybe a little bit during the week, but you can probably get away with doing most of it that Sunday morning or at least Saturday. So it just reduces the amount of time that you have to spend following it. I also think it creates this sort of exclusivity or, or uh, you know, scarcity is probably a better word for it. There's that thing you look forward to every Sunday. I know most uh, you know, married men, uh, maybe not most, but certainly I'm one of them, where I have my deal with my wife where on Sunday I can watch. And uh, you know, I think that that's, that's probably something that's not as possible. I mean, certainly people watch other sports, but it's not like this sort of special carved side time. NFL truly owns Sunday afternoons, uh, and I think that there's something really strong about that. Scheduling is a big thing because you got to fit into people's lives. And then on the fantasy side, I think that the access to information and the amount that the NFL has integrated in the game has been a huge difference maker. They did it way more than any other league, and it made it so that it was more mainstream. It made it so that people had more information so they could play more easily and know that they were picking the right players and feel confident. When I first started playing fantasy football on the internet, it was like this, you know, if you found a sleeper, it was gold, no one, but now easy to find. On, it's been five minutes on a website and you'll get a list of all the sleepers. So I think that's made it a lot more accessible. People don't feel like they have to put quite as much time in, but it's still enough time and enough skill basis that it's fun to, to debate and play against your friends. Well, it's interesting when you say that about there was a time where you could find a sleeper and you felt like you had made this surprising discovery. I mean, those days are gone just in the sense that there's so much uh, content around fantasy, expert content. Do you think anything in that has been lost? I mean, any joy or any kind of innocence there? I mean, there's just an entire industry around it. Does that remove any bit of the, the magic of discovery with fantasy? 
You know, I don't think so. I think that it's a cool thing that there's all this content out there, and a lot of it's being done by, you know, small businesses scattered throughout the country that have one or two employees, maybe even just a sole proprietor making his own stuff. And I think that it's cool that the Internet's enabled that. Um, you know, obviously it's changed the game a bit, but I think it's changed it in a way that makes it more accessible to people and makes it so that you don't have to scour for research to find those things. So, you know, for a small segment of people that maybe had a lot of time and wanted to do that, there's a little bit of disappointment, but there's still so many other ways that those people can gain advantages and find ways to win that I don't think it's made that big of a difference. At first, it just felt like it was almost like, I don't know, when I first started playing, when I hit the internet, like it was like almost like cheating. When everyone <laughs> first found Roto World and no one was on it, and then, you know, there were these other sites, it was like, wow, like I have some like secret weapon. It almost felt like it was like, you know, get, I don't know, like it, it wasn't even like I was figuring it out. I was just getting some kind of tips from people. And um, I think it's evolved now to where everyone has access to that content, and at least they know about it. And if they aren't looking at it, their friends are. So, you know, through network effects, you're not having a, you have a, a, a more accessible game for people, which I think is overall a really good thing. Yeah. When, you know, you mentioned RotoWire, mm-hmm. and that's just one of these many sites that's, you know, all fantasy and boy, it gets really gritty with analysis and granular. And I think a lot of people, when they think of fantasy now, especially with daily, they do think of these guys who, even with the efforts to make it more social and add fun, you know, social uh, games for just your friends, they think of daily and they think of guys who are making a lot of money doing it, who are expert types. And they wake up in the morning and they just do their math and they open their spreadsheet. Uh, is there room for the other type? I mean, and, and do you think that that's sort of, is that okay that there are people who approach it as not for the joy and the fun of playing, but to make money? I mean, there are guys who have quit their jobs because they can make so much money doing fantasy sports now. Yeah. And I would even say I think most of those people still do enjoy it. But um, my answer to that is I think that that exists in so many different recreational activities. You don't have to look any farther than sports to say that. There are golfers making tons of money at the most elite levels in the world. doesn't mean that I can't go and enjoy playing golf. I think that the problem that existed early on in the daily fantasy industry is that there wasn't the, the right product features weren't in place to allow for those distinct experiences. The experiences were too muddled together. And I think that that's a very solvable problem. We've already put a number of pieces in place, I think, that have addressed that. Um, So to me, that's like very much a solvable issue. It's not something that should be a gating factor long term for the growth of the game. I'm in a season-long fantasy league with a bunch of my friends. We do the draft before the season starts, and that's it for the whole season. They are football fans. None of them have tried daily fantasy, haven't tried draft games or FanDuel. And they just say they're not interested or it's too time-consuming. How are you going to convert people like this and get them to try DFS? I've been asked the question before, hey, you guys did all that advertising in 2015. Didn't you get everybody? Like, why didn't you get everybody? Wow. And that's just not (laughs) how, it's really not how a lot of products work, but it's definitely not how this one works. Um, First, and this more directly to answer your question, I think everyone who's into this type of stuff has at least one or two or maybe more season-long leagues they're in. Maybe they're in some kind of knockout pool at work. They're in some, it's like the last thing people are thinking is, I need to do another one of these things, right? Um, maybe they're getting a little bit of a hard time at home. You're too into this stuff. So the last thing they're doing is looking to play another one. Um, and, and so I think it's, it, you know, there, there's just the natural, eh, you know what, too hard, too much time, I don't want to do it. That's, that's the easy place for people to go. And so what we have to do is continually through updating and innovating on our products, 
creating more interesting marketing promotions, creative messaging to just break through and reach those people to do so. I mean, that's why we did this billion dollar lineup thing to start the NFL season. It was how do you get that person saying exactly what you're saying? Say, you know what? I'm going to try this out. You got to do something that's pretty exciting, pretty unique. And what, what's great about this is what we found is once they, they try the product, they like it, they stick. Um, maybe some of those initial perceptions of it was too much or too hard, they, they go away. Um, so, you know, the challenge is getting them to try it. And then I think once they do, there's been great retention and, uh, you know, really excellent feedback and great loyalty. So, uh, you know, I think that over time, more promotions and more exciting products and more innovation will get more and more people to try it. And the last thing I'll say about this, I think the point you mentioned around like the casual thing for the season long player, I think longer term, actually, this can be a bigger market than season long. And the reason is you don't have that barrier. So I'll take myself as an example. It took me a long time to try a lot of the fantasy sports, including football, but especially the ones that were daily like baseball and hockey and basketball um, it just felt like too big a commitment and I didn't play before so I said what if I don't like this I'm really going to sign up for a whole year totally different to be like I can go try it today and if I don't like it I never have to play again so I actually think it'll get more new people in the market as more of the social uh, games and other sorts of things start to kick in what do you think that the NFL thinks about DraftKings and FanDuel I know that also we should mention some of these stadiums have actual physical DraftKings lounges inside them now so, I mean, this stuff is is here. I mean, it's likely here to stay for a while. But what's the attitude at the NFL toward you guys? Well, I mean, I think a lot of the stuff that you're describing that you're seeing is, uh, I mean, that's your answer. We wouldn't be doing those things if the NFL didn't have a good relationship with us and we didn't have a good relationship with the NFL. And we have done stuff directly with the NFL in the past. We were a big sponsor for Red Zone Channel and bought a lot of other media through them, including on their digital properties and their, including their fantasy properties. Um, we had one year, I think, sponsored their like whole fantasy content section. So we've done a lot directly with them. They never did an exclusive deal, and they never took an equity stake the way some of the other leagues did. But they, they've always been great partners, and we look forward to continuing to be great partners with them. Obviously, they're an incredible juggernaut of a force, and I think they understand that we have a great benefit on their game, and we understand what an amazing partner they can be and all the things that we can accomplish and how much better we can make our product by partnering with them some possible predictions that eventually the NFL would want to just create products like this itself because famously the NFL is great at monetizing and it's a revenue juggernaut. Is that something you think about or that's not really worth surmising about? Um, you know, definitely think about it. I think it makes sense for them long term to think about how they can expand their product suite into different types of games and um, daily will be one that I'm sure that they'll think about. Uh, I think that it's just important for us to continue to have a great relationship so that if they ever do want to offer something, we can hopefully partner with them on it. If you look at the fantasy product they offer today, they do it through a partnership. It's branded NFL, and it's you know, but it's definitely done through a partnership. And not to say they couldn't build something, but that's not what they do best. They're not a tech company. They're an IP and licensing company. So you know, we're hoping that if someday there makes sense for them to have those types of things, that we can be their partner. In that. Okay. Well, thanks, Jason. Thank you. All right, those were interesting chats, and I'm glad we were able to get both Nigel and Jason in. Uh, just kind of funny and interesting to think that these two guys were in a lot of meetings together for many months and were planning to combine, and suddenly they aren't, and so they're back competing with one another. Uh, that'll be fascinating to watch. Now, what I want to point out is the distinction between daily fantasy sports in MLB, NBA, NHL, and the attitude toward daily fantasy sports from the NFL. We're talking about football. We're talking about the business of football on this podcast. 
And it's worth reiterating, the NHL invested in DraftKings. The NBA invested in FanDuel. Major League Baseball made a partnership with DraftKings that brought MLB an equity stake in DraftKings. I don't believe it invested. But the point is, all of these leagues have an ownership stake in one of these two private tech startups, which on itself is interesting and and kind of fascinating. I don't think the average person knows. I mean, you know, when you see a a sign in a baseball park showing an ad for DraftKings, uh, it's worth thinking about the fact that Major League Baseball as a league has an ownership stake in that company. NFL, no stake in either one. Uh, The NFL Players Association did make a deal with DraftKings, a marketing deal. And all of the NFL teams, of course, are allowed to make their own deals with DraftKings or FanDuel for marketing and promotional purposes. Uh, The Patriots have a a big deal with DraftKings. Same with the Cowboys. There are actually DraftKings fantasy lounges inside some of the NFL stadiums now. That's fine. The individual 32 teams can do what they want. But the NFL, at the league level, has, in my opinion, acted as though it wants nothing to do with these companies. And that's no surprise. It totally fits the NFL's MO. And as we move forward, these companies, if you ask them about it, you heard what uh, Nigel and Jason both said about the NFL. They're very careful. They say, oh, it's been a great partner. That's fine. But as we move forward, if daily fantasy as an industry continues to rise and continues to get more popular, I still don't expect the NFL to warm up to these companies. They've become too toxic. They're too risky. Instead, the NFL would create its own games. The NFL, keep in mind, wants to own things and do things itself. It very rarely farms things out. Uh, Look at Major League Baseball, which has had its own video line, MLBAM, do a lot of its tech. Uh, Disney has now bought a a majority stake in MLBAM. So Major League Baseball's tech arm is owned by Disney. You would never see the NFL do something like that. The NFL wants to make its own products, wants to uh, drive all of its own growth. It's all about control. It's all about protecting the shield. It's about its image. It's about the integrity of the game. And so I don't think that in the next few years, you will see it do a 180 on DraftKings and FanDuel. Uh, It knows that fantasy football in general has been a good, positive thing for it. But fantasy is changing quickly. Uh, The entire form that these games take has been busted wide open. There are all different sorts of daily. They're season long. Even these labels are becoming no longer relevant. But what I think you can bank on is that the NFL isn't about to give the keys to the kingdom to any outside tech startup. The NFL wants to do it on itself. Uh, The NFL wants to do it with its own work. So as we look down the road, and you think maybe more people gravitate toward these faster, quicker, pick them daily fantasy options for fantasy football. Look for the NFL to roll out its own in-house product. I don't expect the NFL at the league level to be promoting DraftKings and FanDuel anytime soon. What do you think about fantasy football and then specifically daily fantasy football? Have you tried DraftKings, FanDuel, or a different DFS company? There's one called Draft that recently sold to Patty Power. Yahoo, our own company, offers daily. Have you tried daily? I really do want to know. And if you haven't tried it, why haven't you? Get at us. Tweet at me. uh, Comment on our Yahoo Finance Facebook page. Comment on the story that we write to go with the podcast. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Find us on all the podcast platforms. We're on them. Apple, Google, Stitcher, Acast. Thanks for listening. We'll see you for week five. Goodbye. Goodbye.